Hello and welcome to Two Hearts, a new who podcast. I'm James. And I'm Callum. And the Two Hearts podcast is all around you, my sweets. And every fortnight, or our month as it is here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival, and today we are going to the past and the future, and outside the universe, just for good measure, in The Curse of the Black Spot and the Doctor's Wife. Um, As always, at the top of the episode, just a quick reminder that you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Two Hearts Pod, the number two, and you can email us at twoheartspodcasts at gmail.com. That's to the word two, to have your thoughts and feelings shared on the show. James, hello. Mm. How are you feeling this morning? Oh, so fantastic. I definitely didn't stay up until 2 a.m. playing video games. And now it's, you know, barely 9 a.m. And I'm feeling so good about all of my life choices. How about you? <laughs> I, I also feel the same way. I stayed out until... Uh, Midnight last night, seeing Babylon uh, at a Moonlight Cinema screening. And then I went home and watched the episode we have to talk about. So, you know, <laughs> fun. It's all well, fun. Well, it's fresh. Yes, yeah. it's all fun. Yes, we're all having a lot of fun. Uh, you know, so I feel like for the listeners, right, they're going to hear our um, se- Series uh, 6 uh, premiere discussion mm. um, and think, wow, what a what a nuanced, fun conversation that was. <laughs> and then they're going to get this recording, which in reality we're doing like two days later <laughs> where we're just burnt out and James is like, I hate pirates. <laughs> yeah, so we, are, we have put two episodes together for this one because, um, look, we've watched The Curse of the Black Spot and what is there to say, you know, about such a such an episode as that one um and we realized there really wasn't much to talk about at all so uh we've put them together we're going to talk about we're going to probably like not probably do like 10 minutes top of the episode on curse of the black spot um sorry to everyone that made that episode um oh look if you're out there and it's your favorite bully for you yeah a yo ho ho and a bottle of rum i just can't bring myself to care and don't hesitate to cyber bully us about that as well we can take truly it. yell at us yeah, yeah. <laughs> anonymously tweet us on uh on twitter We're, we'd get our engagement up so it would exactly work in we love way. numbers <laughs> um okay well i guess before we veer into to uh, episode discussion there's a little tiny bit of news that we can talk about um is there so bad wolf hq uh the production company behind the the new doctor who uh they, there was a photo shared of this massive wall that they've got in their office which has a uh, like a stencil print of shooty gut was smiling while leaning against a wall and then next to that is a massive uh, mm. universe word as in a, a who universe um i hate the term <laughs> i'm yeah. just gonna say it yeah it's funny because like you know up to this point it's just been i don't know if actually russell t davies has said that word in any interviews or anything um but it has felt like it's been predominantly a twitter thing right um yes and so to see it immortalized in big font in the production office of the doctor who of doctor who feels to me it's a confirmation if confirmation were needed that like we are that there are big universe spanning plans in store for the show um with shooty gatwa as the face of that plan which i find very exciting um but obviously yes that part I definitely <clears throat> I definitely find very charming. I am very nervous about spin-offs and extended universe stuff, obviously. Mm. Um, but look, I look, no matter what, it's just exciting that people are giving a shit on this scale about the future of the show. Whether it's gonna be successful or not, no clue at all. But uh yeah, it, it's cool, at least in theory. It, it's cool in theory, that's it. And I I re- remain cautiously optimistic <clears throat> as we all do about the future. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk no. about... No, we're here to talk about a much less optimistic episode. No, that's not true. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to perk myself up after you hear the trailer for uh, Curse of the Black Spot. 
Yo ho ho! Our sensors picked you up. Ship in distress. It's dangerous here. There is a monster aboard. She leaves a mark on men's skin. Uh, Doctor, what's what's happening to me? Your stowaways. <laughs> Amy, what are you doing? Saving your life. Okay with that, are you? There's a stroppy homicidal mermaid trying to kill all. She's here. The Curse of the Black Spot is episode three of series six of the Doctor Who revival. It was written by Steve Thompson, who has also written Journey to the Center of the TARDIS and Time Heist, and directed by Jeremy Webb, who directed The Wedding of River Song, or who will go on to direct The Wedding of River Song. Um, yes, it is an episode of Doctor <laughs> Who. It's an episode. It's definitely in there. It, it's up there with, you know, such classics as The Lazarus Experiment, uh, Fear Her... <laughs> Um, the long game, you know, really memorable episode. Yes. Wait, what's the long game? Case in point. <laughs> there we go. Have we talked about it? It's series one, uh, giant pimple on the ceiling, uh, Simon Pegg. Oh, of course. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. What? What? Not even that one. The, the one oh. that sets up that one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're off to a great start this morning. <laughs> Uh, look, it, um, James, you're going to recount the plot of The Curse of the Black Spot for us. It's gonna I be, am. I am. It's going to be great. Uh, I've got 60 seconds on the timer. Are you ready? Um, look, I see no reason why I shouldn't be ready. Perfect. Three, two, one. Uh, okay, so sometime during the 17th century pirate times, the Doctor, Amy, and Rory uh, land on like a pirate ship called Fancy. Um, the ship is basically down to like five or six crew members because the, all the dudes on the boat have been uh, disappearing after they get like small injuries, basically, because they get this little black spot on their hand. And then something rises from the water to take them. Um, we find out that it is a, a siren of some sort. Uh, this siren turns out to be a medical program from a a crashed spaceship i think she's under the ship seconds. or in the ship honestly i, I kind of stopped paying attention at a certain point um it, the ship is held by captain avery his son is stows aboard gets taken by her and then so the doctor and amy and rory rory also gets taken they go down to the spaceship they rescue everybody uh, avery and his son take the spaceship and fly off and amy and rory uh love each other uh, still Four seconds to spare. Do you want to fill them with any uh, other bits and pieces about the episode that you like? I don't remember any other bits and pieces about the episode. <laughs> Where is the spaceship? Uh, I think it's in like hyperspace or another space in the same right. space as the ship ship. Um, a good. Oh, yeah. Which is actually a cool concept, right? It is a cool concept. Um, it brings to mind, I don't know if you've ever seen the classic. 1978 uh, Tom Baker serial The um, Stones of Blood James? No No I haven't seen the classic 1978 Tom <laughs> Baker serial The Stones of Blood <laughs> Well in that it's, it's almost a similar concept Where they're like, Investigating Him and Romana Are investigating A Stonehenge type Structure And then they find out There's a spaceship In hyperspace In the same space As the uh, Stonehenge and, um, So it's the same concept it's the same concept, but arguably a better story. Yes, I would believe that. Curse of the Black Spot. The thing is, like, I'm not negative on it. I just don't no. care. Um, like, I, am... I think it's like... Oh, sorry. You keep going. No, no, you go. I am negative on it. Um, and that mostly boils down to the fact that I just... And this is a very personal thing. It's not an actual criticism, necessarily. Uh, I just hate pirates i hate them and i find Truly. them to be a boring concept especially because like and i granted this is the case with almost anything historical we don't know what things were like back then we don't know what being a pirate actually was but it just feels like this episode went for a yo ho ho version of them rather than actually like trying to maybe look into some historical significance of pirates, you know, or like other pirate stories or um, anything like that. Um, it just, it feels really sloppy. 
Uh, no, I agree. Like it is uh, okay. So I think like the historical context of this episode is that um, it was largely inspired by the popularity of Pirates of the Caribbean at the time, which had yeah. the movie Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, so yep. like you sort of you understand why they get to this point, and I think that there's another layer to it, which is that like. Um, you know, the kind of popularized image of a pirate is a Disney product. It's not what actual pirates talked like or, or acted like, essentially. Mm. Um, like the kind of like affected old Englishy crap. Um, and to see this riff on just the Disneyfied version of pirates, one, I think obviously it makes sense given what was going on at the time. But two, you're right. It just, just makes for a really boring representation of them because, like, you know, early on in the episode, Amy finds like a, a pirate coat and a hat and she's all swashbuckling around and it's fun and goofy and lighthearted. And it's like, and it is all those things. Mm. Um, but in the absence of writing these pirates like actual people outside mm. of very simple, well, he's got a son, don't you know? Mm. Um, like there's there's no ideological uh, sort of like foundation to these pirates. Um, the supporting cast is incredibly boring. Um, it's mm. just, you're right, it... it I, I also don't like pirates. I, I think they're very naff in, in the wrong direction. It's it's camp without the good elements of camp, basically. Um, yeah. I, I just, I don't much care for the the very premise of this episode. And the, the siren sci-fi stuff that they add on could be interesting, but it's not. Because again, and this is something we're going to talk about a lot today, but like, I, I feel like the way it's couched in gendered optics makes it less interesting to me. Can you can you talk a bit more about that? I'm not sure what you mean in, well, like in the, reference to the pirate. siren herself, right? Like and I I understand like the concept of a siren historically, right? But I think that when you're doing something like Doctor Who, you can do interesting things, right? Mm. And to me, making her this kind of like, oh, she's this soft, beautiful, angelic figure. Like it's just so boring. <laughs> yeah. It, it... The siren, I find, yeah, to be another weak element of this episode. Um, not just... Okay, just aesthetically, you could... It really frustrates me that, like, we have an episode, a nautical-theme episode, and you could do anything with your mermaid character, and they put her in a white dress, and, mm-hmm. like, don't... There's a real dissonance... Um, I don't know if I'm using that word correctly, um, but a real... A disconnect maybe between like the environment she's supposed to come from and then what she actually looks like and so we, they have that shot where she like mm. comes out of the water and then she lands on deck and she's dry and she's just a woman I, I, I was like oh come on give me some give me something a bit gritty give me like a like a um yes a nord like a you know a tentacle creature or some kind of fishy element or something interesting not just a beautiful siren and actually it, you bring up a perfect uh, reference counterpoint, which is point, which is Pirates of the Caribbean, which I don't hate as much. I, I, you know, as a kid really enjoyed those films and probably would get a kick out of watching them um, again as an adult sense, Johnny Depp. Um, but yeah, here it, it, look, what maybe what I'm saying is that there's some budgetary <laughs> problems there. Um, and this episode mm-hmm. definitely suffers from being the first after in a fantastic two-parter. Um, and it wasn't originally meant to. It was supposed to be the ninth episode in Night Terrors, which with the Peg Dolls was supposed to be in this slot. But they swapped mm. them because they like, we need a bit more lightness <laughs> at the top of the of the series. Well, I mean, like, that's it. Yeah, to go from, like, the opening two-parter to the Doctor's Wife to the Almost People is just, like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been too much. It would have been too much. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't. I understand that decision, but this episode is sort of a sacrificial lamb for this series to to prop up and make the other tentpole episodes look a bit better. Maybe that's probably. Um. True, yeah, I, I do. I do very much get that vibe. Um, Lily Cole is the siren. I, I take your point. Like she is. Well, she's not even a character. Let's be real. She's a device. Well, she's she's not a character. Yeah, she's a, a program. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I is um, the other. Oh, sorry. I keep interrupting you. No, like, honestly, I don't. I I was like grasping around for something to talk about with this episode. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just gonna say that's the other thing that really annoys me about Lily Cole's character is that is the revelation that the ship, the the siren, is a medical program, and she's not killing the pirate she's trying to save them because i i really hate that 
<laughs> it feels mm-hmm. trite to me, like you trundling out a twist for the sake of a twist um, kind of thing. And uh, look, we're being quite disparaging of this episode and I, I'm cognizant that I, I want to like couch what I'm saying in some kind of actual critical analysis. Um, but with our show, it's always half critical analysis, predominantly what we feel. <laughs> um, and with that ending, I just feel that the, it, 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 it's trying to tap into the doctor who, um, ethos, right. Of like everybody mm-hmm. lives. Uh, so all these characters that you think have died, actually they're alive and they're going to go off and have a happy ending. Sometimes we don't need a happy ending. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay that characters die. And yes. this is one major criticism that does come up repeatedly through Moffat's era. And I suppose could be summarized as like a case of, um, what's the expression? Not lesser returns, um, but diminished diminished returns. returns. Exactly. From the empty child, Dr. Dancer's two-parter ending, which is everybody lives, um, mm-hmm. which becomes then like a cliche of this era where everybody lives um, and this is one of the more boring examples of that kind of ending. Um, cause they go, they, they get onto the other ship, they go down to the medical bay and, and all the pirates are there and the captain's son is there. Um, and you know, Rory's there and it's, you just realize that for me, at least I was like, oh, there is no threat anymore. There's no threat. And the the slightest bit of tension is gone. Um, yeah, I I'm, look, I do agree, and I, that's not to say that you can't do a Doctor Who episode without a traditional like threat. I just think that in the absence of interesting characters on that mm. boat, um, there's nothing there's nothing to grasp onto in this episode. It's funny because the other episode we're going to talk about the Doctor's wife um, has a very tangible, well not tangible, but has a very prominent threat. Um, and does something that I feel like this episode should have been doing, which is the the chase in the TARDIS. Um, imagine a version of this episode where they're being they're, they're being, um, you know, picked. Well, I guess that's what this episode really is: is being you know the pirates being picked off one by one by the mm. siren. But you never feel, or at least I never felt like they were in any kind of danger. No. Which is surprising because it's a literal ship on a sea at storm. You know, there's a storm. Um, like, there, everything about that environment should be threatening. I keep saying the word threat mm. and I realise it's going to become a bit um, no. boring. Well, and I feel like the, the problem with this is that, like, Rory gets taken really early. Um, mm. Or, you know what I mean? Like, he gets, like, marked really early. And so you know that whatever is going to happen to these other characters isn't going to be that serious. Because if it oh, if it can happen to the main character... And, th- and this is one of those things where, like, it's a suspension of disbelief that in a lot of other stories you don't notice because the writing is good enough that it covers it up. And when you get really average writing like you got here, you start to notice the mechanisms of, the, of a story happening. Um, and so it just ends up being, like, just a very unsatisfying... Hmm. But not in a way that I can sit here and craft like a 45 minute frustrated critique over it. It's just an episode of a TV show and that's it. That's it. And I think when I say sacrificial lamb, I really do mean that because these episodes are not meant to, (laughs) this sounds really mean, but these episodes aren't meant to achieve anything other than just filling a slot on the slate so that they can get to other stuff um, Mm -hmm. and keep the audience, you know, engaged until they can get to a finale um it it is a shame that this episode is so rote and by the numbers because it it it, it's it's never going to be one that you remember right um and subsequently we don't remember it and i'm curious as to what your um score for this episode is going to be um c plus i i guess (laughs) I, I also give it a C plus. Like it, it, neither achieving well or necessarily doing anything bad. Just yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it was filmed. Oh, they made it. <laughs> they they got it in on time. They did. They did. Speaking of getting things in on time, uh, let's shuffle right along to a much better conversation. Mm. Uh, let's talk about the doctor's wife. I've got mail. 
There's a living Time Lord still out there. The house, what's the house? We walk on his back, breathe his air, eat his food. And do my will. The little boxes will make you angry. Uh, ah! You're like a nine-year-old trying to rebuild a motorbike in his bedroom. You are not my mother. Why shouldn't I just kill you now? Doctor's Wife is episode four of series six of the Doctor Who revival. It was written by Neil Gaiman, uh, who is a first-time writer for the show, but obviously a man um, who needs no introduction, but I'll try and give one. Uh, previously written the Sandman comics, um, Coraline, uh, Never, I think it's Nevermore or Neverwhere, Neverwhere, sorry. Um, American Gods, which I think you're familiar with, James. Um, yeah, great book turned into a TV show, semi-recent, well... Five it was a while ago. ago now, actually. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah as I said it, yeah. <laughs> um, I watched that first series and actually quite liked it, but yeah, it was fun. But I had to really push myself through that show. Um, well, that's well, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about your <laughs> <laughs> Uh Yes, and directed by Richard Clark, who previously directed Gridlock and Lazarus Experiment, and will go on to direct another episode this series, which is Night Terrors. Um, James, you're going to challenge me to recount the plot of The Doctor's I Wife. I certainly am. All right, you've got a minute on the clock. Are you ready? <clears throat> oh, yeah. All right, three, two, one. So the TARDIS is called to a bubble universe ha- occupied by uh, an as- a sentient asteroid named House um, by a little box uh, owned, well, sent by the Corsair. Uh, which is one of the Doctor's old Time Lord friends. And he's hoping he's going to find some Time Lords there, but it turns out that House is a parasitic creature who eats TARDISes. But the only way they can eat TARDISes is by deleting the TARDIS matrix first. So he puts the TARDIS consciousness into the body of a woman called Idris. Ergo, the Doctor and TARDIS, oh, for the first time in history, can talk seconds. to one another. Um, Amy and Rory, meanwhile, get locked inside the TARDIS and get uh, terrorized by House running around inside. Uh, the Doctor and Idris put together a makeshift TARDIS from old TARDIS bits on the junkyard planet that House lives on, and they go into the TARDIS. And the House, uh, the TARDIS uh, releases their energy back into the control room. Ergo, destroying House, getting rid of House from the inside of the TARDIS. The Doctor and TARDIS have a, fearful, a tearful farewell, but they are okay because they'll always be together, and they get to say hello to one another for the first time. Pretty good. Yeah, I reckon that's probably my best one. <laughs> I think that is definitely your best one, especially compared to mine earlier, which was like, pirates, water? <laughs> Swashbuckling? Walking yes. the plank? <laughs> Amy in a cute hat? <laughs> Amy, Rory, uh, Doctor, uh, Mystery Ink rocks. Oh, <laughs> uh, go watch that TikTok instead of watching Velma. Um... <laughs> The Doctor's Wife. Now this, now oh. this is an episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> In some ways, yeah, this is both a very slight episode of Doctor Who and an incredibly impactful episode. Because I was watching it just thinking like, it's crazy this concept is being used for a mid-series, non-connected-to-anything episode. Um, but I guess that's also its charm and it's um, why it is so good. Because it's not encumbered by having to do anything else other than just tell a story about the doctor and the TARDIS. Um, I do want to mention up front, just cause I don't know where else to put this, that, that I love the fact that this episode is called the doctor's wife, not because of the other things that we're going to talk about um, in terms of Idris and how they characterize her, but because in the eighties, when John Nathan Turner was the producer, they, he was convinced that there was a, someone leaking information to the public. So he wrote on the like, story room blackboard the doctor's wife as an episode title to see if it would filter out into like fan circles um oh yeah and i think it did and so he was he was able to i actually don't know the end of the story maybe there was a leak or not i'm not sure um but it it it, it is a nice just little <laughs> tiny bit of fan service there in a weird way um and i like it yes it makes more sense as fan service than a title that's for sure well, yeah, it's a title that's meant to misdirect you, right? So when they announced the series and then they were like, oh, episode four is called The Doctor's Wife. Everyone was like, what the fuck? And started speculating about the fact that it was Romana or it was um, I don't, the Rani. We've also got probably. River running around at this point. 
And River, exactly. Fuck. I mean, they probably, yeah, they definitely knew what they were doing by naming this mm. episode what it was. Um, obviously, the TARDIS is not the Doctor's wife, but it's a fun no. Little, no. little title. James, overall thoughts, feelings? Um, Really like it. Uh, I think this is generally a very good episode that ends on an immaculate high. Um, mm. And so I, I have a one gripe really actually. Now that the, the more I think about this episode, the more I'm like, no, I think everything works pretty well. I think it can be a little bit rushed in some spaces. Um, and there's some characterization stuff we're going to talk about, but overall, I think this is like a really fun, spooky, emotionally affecting episode of Dr. Who. What about you? I agree with what you're saying. And it's also funny because, um, this I can't imagine it being a two-parter, but I can imagine this is like a, a good case for hour-long episodes as opposed to like forty minutes. Because um, yes, can, exactly. Yeah, this this would. It have doesn't need a whole one. It just needs another fifteen or so. Yeah, exactly. Just to let some moments land a little bit. But I I, I agree with you. I think. Look, I'm not sure any fans that actually don't like this episode. Um, I, I think it is a excellent episode of television of doctor who um and some a concept that i never ever would have ever thought to engage with or that that i thought the show would ever explore um which maybe is a commentary on like how we perceive uh the tardis you know or maybe just like things you take for granted i suppose because like um yeah great concept and really love it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm glad you looped back around to that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, look, I do agree. It, it is interesting that this sort of hasn't been thought of before, but like we'll, we'll, we'll pop the Idris and the Tardis stuff uh, a, a little bit further. Oh, is Idris? No. Idris is a is name. It? It's they picked the name Idris because it sounds a bit like Tardis, which I, I was going to say it's <laughs> the same letters just without the T and the A, right? <laughs> yeah, I find it dumb, but ah, uh, oh, Tardis. Now there's a meme. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kate Blanchett is the Tardis. Whoa, crazy queer icon. Mm. Okay, no, let me let me fix this whole thing. <clears throat> Uh, yes, I agree. It's it's strange that this concept has never come up before, but we'll, we'll probably talk about that when we talk about Idris as, as a whole other concept. Um, I, I want to start with sort of a broad overview of something I do appreciate in this episode, which is its horror aesthetic. Mm. Um, you know, I, I noticed this as soon as you start the episode, even before they uh, go through the fucking hole in the universe or whatever to get to, to house. Um the TARDIS itself, the lights have been dimmed. It's like the contrast has been turned up. It's a really smart bit of directing and sort of like scene setting, I think, because as a space that you're used to seeing like blown out with a lot of like warm lighting, instead now you get this kind of like dark, um, very metallic vibe in that room. Um, and I just think that like, it's a, it's a small thing like that where, and I can't think of any solid examples of this, but I know that these things exist where like the visual language of a show can change week to week based on the tone of the story they're telling. Mm. Um, and like, so things that you're used to seeing in, in a certain way are used in a completely different way the next week. And then it doesn't have, never need to be talked about again. You know, it's not like an in-universe reason why the lights weren't working that week or whatever. It's just, it makes for better storytelling. Um, and I think it kicks you off on the right foot with this episode, which is that it's whole horror aesthetic is very storybook. You know, it, it feels very, not fantasy, but like, like a, like you are engaging in like a little short story about Doctor Who, you know? Yeah, actually, that's a really nice way of putting it. Like, if you don't often think about story about Doctor Who episodes as being um, literary, I suppose, but this is probably the closest a, a Doctor Who episode does come to that um, kind of structure. Um, I, I I do like what you're saying about the lighting of the TARDIS at the start, and it made me think of uh, the '83, I think, or '82 um, serial with the with peter davison enlightenment which starts for no reason i think the reason is that the tardis is low on power but it starts with the tardis like really dark in like orangey lighting which was shocking at the time because it was perpetually in like blinding white light um mm -hmm. 
And it you're right, it immediately sets a tone for the episode. I think the lighting in this whole episode is fantastic, actually. Like, and uh, I don't, yes, I don't know much about how to actually light <laughs> television film productions. Um, so I'm basing that entirely on the fact that we see the TARDIS in, soaked in these hue, uh, green hues. Um, and they look fantastic and really menacing. And it's just lighting, for God's sake. Um, mm-hmm. Agreed. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, the the alien kind of junkyard that they land on is fantastic. Um, and a nice callback. I, 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 I don't remember where I read this, but it was like the, the fact that it's a junkyard was a specific allusion to the very first episode where they the TARDIS is in a junkyard. And there's a lot of those little Doctor Who connective tissue fan service bits through this episode that, you know, if you don't know, they don't impact your enjoyment of the episode, but are there if yeah. you want to see them. It's kind of, kind of like me, right? Where, like, I got the stuff from New Who that's, that's quote-unquote fan service, mm. but any classic illusions, I'm like, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you don't need to know any... You don't even need to be a Doctor Who fan necessarily to enjoy no. this episode because it's all there on the page yes yes very very much so um it, it does explain itself quite well um there is uh, i guess i don't know like the, the, so the horror aesthetic is probably a good launching pad to talk about the i want to start with just like the supporting cast because mm. then we can get up to sort of like the bigger players in this story mm-hmm. um but uh uncle auntie and nephew i know that you're you're quite high on these characters i do love them it, it, slight though they are i i think that the way that they're they're very fairy tale right um yeah and so much actually it makes so much sense now i think about it that this episode was supposed to be in the fifth series when i say that out loud um because mm. yeah there, this is a fairy tale episode for sure um i love auntie and uncle uh, like just the concept of cobbled together people um but the way that they talk um elizabeth bearing in barrington in particular as auntie i find just like she's just completely in that role and it makes me think about how actors like approach such like like, that's not a character that's an idea right um Mm -hmm. how do you like personify that and she's like well i'm just gonna be i'm just gonna be a bit weird aren't i and it works (laughs) it really (laughs) works it really does isn't it um, I was thinking about this in relation to, so later on um, you discover that the Time Lord sort of SOS messages have been, that have been going out or have all been stored in like this little cupboard and, um, you know, House has effectively uh, butchered the Time Lords that came to the planet and uh, cr- like not created, but sort of replaced elements of auntie and uncle using Time Lord body parts, which is just a shockingly horrifying revelation that, you know, one of my criticisms, I think the episode moves past it a bit too quickly, but whatever, it doesn't matter too much. Um, mm. But what I like about that moment is that obviously the doctor is infuriated by this and you, you kind of look at auntie and uncle with this, like, Oh God, that is, that's foul. But yeah. then once house leaves uh, the, the, the asteroid, right. And goes into the TARDIS. Um, you get this really wonderful scene with auntie and uncle where they're like, Oh, well, guess we're going to die now. And it, it's just, I don't have sympathy for them necessarily, but but they're so pathetic in mm. a very deliberately warm way mm. that you're like, what is there even to be mad at here? Like, you're not at fault for anything that's happened here. You're barely even a person anymore. No. Um, you're just this kind of, like, cobbled together flesh machine and you probably don't even fully understand why you still exist. Like, it, there's, there's a kind of, like, undercurrent of tragedy to those characters that I really appreciate and I think does come through in, like you're talking about, those very deliberate performance choices. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a great moment where they're just like, oh, well, auntie and uncle have got to pop off now. Um, very warm because of the yeah, they're called auntie and uncle for God's sake. Um, mm. but yeah, the word pathetic actually <laughs> triggered something in me because I was like, that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. They are like these meat puppets that have been used and abused by a house over the how many years, mm-hmm. um, that house has been eating tardises and i got the impression that they were like truly driven insane by their very existence and which yes. accounted for why they were the way they were um i don't know if that's as satisfying a answer um 
not that an answer is needed. I do hear what you're saying about the the Time Lord SOS boxes and that being scuppered at the top of the episode. I did try to imagine a version where that's held out longer as a mystery. Um, and mm. I think that would have gotten in the way of what the story is really about, which is the Doctor and the TARDIS interacting. Um, and But I, I take your point. It would have been interesting to maybe just grapple with that a bit more. It was interesting because I was watching that, that those first scenes where the Amy's like, Oh, what are you going to tell the time Lords when you find them? You know, that you killed Mm. them all. And the doctor's like, and then she's like, you want to be forgiven. And he's like, don't we all? And Mm. it's a very small moment that I, I did sort of think this, this needed more time to flesh Mm -hmm. out. Um, but it was never, it was never going to be this episode that did it. Um, Uh, No, I I, I definitely take your point on that one. Um, It's interesting. I said at the top of this discussion, like, you know, this feels like a a story that you go into inside of Doctor Who, essentially. Mm. And if you were to think about this episode as like a standalone novel, let's say, instead of an episode in an ongoing television show. Mm. I feel like all of these complaints, or no, the, the, not the complaint, the, the, the frustration I have with sort of moving on from the time world stuff so quickly, I think evaporates completely because the only reason I feel like this episode doesn't give it enough time is because of the, overarching importance that this series has given to the Time Lords, right? Whereas if this was just a story set in the Doctor Who universe, I'd be like, this is like a a neat little way of him sort of like coming to terms with a a part of his guilt over what happened and seeing sort of a butchered version of his people and and blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's there. Mm. It's just because of the way this show has trained us to feel about any time Time Lords are mentioned, you feel like that should be a huge deal. Um, Mm. And I simultaneously respect that Gaiman writes his own version of, of that and also think that it doesn't work structurally with the entire series. Does that make sense? I do know what you're saying. And I guess that that's a problem that's only created because there's two different showrunners. And if this, that would have been the case if this episode was produced under Russell G Davies, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, this is a Moffat episode where he is not really like, I think that like his first couple of episodes really established that like we're past the guilt thing now. We're past uh, yes. that. All the- We're also just generally past the Time Lordy stuff until we get to mm. it later on, right? <laughs> yeah, until they bring well Gallifrey back to yeah. lesser or good <laughs> effects. I'm <laughs> we'll, not sure. We'll, we'll get to um, it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, yes. So I, I take all of your points on that. I do think it's in a very it's in a very hell bent way. Uh, they div- they get rid of that. Uh, idea pretty early on so they can be as a misdirection so they can be like actually we're going to do a story about the doctor and the tardis Mm -hmm. um yeah so and i'm glad they do because that is the best part of this whole episode but we'll obviously talk about idris a little bit later um the tardis as a haunted house is a cool concept that i didn't think i wanted until it came around in this yeah, it's, it's good, isn't it? So House essentially takes over the TARDIS in the, in the absence of the TARDIS matrix. Uh, he he jumps in and uh, Amy and Rory are in there at the time and he takes off and tries to go back into um, our universe to, to eat more TARDISes, basically. Um, and in the process of this, he's like, well, because, you know, he's, he's, what is it? It's Michael Sheen, isn't it? It's Michael Sheen voicing House, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Michael Sheen voicing House. He has this very fun, spooky voice thing going on. Uh, and so you can just hear him ominously in the TARDIS. And he's like, why shouldn't I kill you, Amy and Rory? And Rory's like, oh, well, we'll entertain you by slowly dying instead mm. <laughs> as a way of buying time. <laughs> and so what follows is Amy and Rory just running around the TARDIS as, you know, like the gravity is changing. He's playing with time inside of there like it is just little spooky things are happening it, it is a haunted house um and it leads to i think one of the best amy and rory moments even if it is purely part of the kind of like delusion mm. of, of what's happening in there um but uh they, they get separated by a door closing and you know he she eventually finds him again he's like it's been hours like where have you been uh and then you're like oh that's weird because it's only been a minute for amy and then the door closes again yeah she turns around and there's this like old, old Rory fucking curled up in the corner somewhere. And his reaction to seeing her again 
harkens back to the whole like you know the 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 roman who waited right like it's the 2000 years thing again but this time in in place of his like dedication and love it's it's mutated and it's flipped into what is often in reality the other side of men who have this like you know staunch dedication to a woman is that it turns into hatred um and you know i think he specifically says like you know you did this to me again mm. and he like lunges out at her and like it's really upsetting stuff to see because i do think that it it speaks to in an episode that has some other weird gender stuff going on. It's a smart bit of gender commentary to say that like Rory's a great dude. Rory loves Amy in the wrong circumstances. Rory would hate Amy. Um, Mm. And, and how that manifests. I just, I really like it. It's good, isn't it? And it definitely makes me think about the scenes we're going to get up coming up where, you know, Rory is a good person ultimately. And yeah. th- that scene is a, a manifestation, as you say, of, of uh, Amy's fears about their relationship and about Rory potentially turning on her because of, like, what he's done for her. Um, but it does just make you think about, like, yeah, this in other circumstances, this very easily could have been a, a really shit situation for, mm-hmm. for her. It could have been that Rory's waited 2,000 years to protect her in the Pandorica Opens Big Bang. And at the end of it was like, you piece of shit. I can't believe mm-hmm. I've done that. He could have been driven insane. He wasn't, ultimately. Um, yeah. It is a great moment. I I really love, though, the one that comes after that, if I can talk about no, that. please do. Yeah. Where, where Amy walks into a, the corridor. Again, they get separated. She walks into the corridor and a, a Rory's skeleton is on the floor and on the walls in this incredibly horrific this kind of scene. Um, he has scrawled over the many years in this fantasy delusion thing. Um, kill Amy, die Amy, hate Amy. Mm. And there was something about seeing the words hate, die Amy. Yeah. In a Doctor Who that I was like, Oh, th- this feels wrong in a good mm-hmm. way. Um, yes. Yeah. And it, uh, Karen Gillan's performance here, where she breaks down completely and just like, I so sorry, I can't like, I'm so sorry, Rory, and just crying over his corpse is one of the best scenes in the show. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, Agreed. It's a good bit of horror. It's a good concept. Um, I think there was originally the plan, and they do this because then later nephew, the Ood, um, is in the TARDIS pursuing Amy and Rory. But I think the original concept was that there would be just an alien loose in the TARDIS and that the Doctor had to run away from it. Um, I'm, I'm glad that they actually turned the TARDIS into a threat rather than like something pursuing them because mm-hmm. it Agreed. is vastly more interesting and I think there could have been maybe just a little bit more with that, like maybe some more environmental changes. Um, but I think it worked. What they do absolutely works. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Agreed. It's it's a lot of fun. Mm. Um, yeah. So I guess, well, I mean, we're talking about the TARDIS. Let's mm. talk about the TARDIS. <laughs> Let's talk about the TARDIS. Ooh, yeah. Idris. She's crazy. <laughs> She's a quirky girl. Oh, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> um, yes. Idris. Yeah. Idris, Idris, Idris is a very, very interesting one. Um, it is a case, and I think you and I both agree on this, where, like, her first scene is her worst and her last is her best. And across the episode, she improves from scene to scene, basically. Because... Um, initially you know when the TARDIS lands you see uh the the woman Idris before she becomes the TARDIS and then like the 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 gold energy time lord crap goes inside of her and she becomes the TARDIS and she kind of adopts this um manic uh unstable but still sexy (laughs) um vibe Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. she sees the doctor and she runs up and she kisses him and it's just I really don't like that first scene. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the excesses of this era, the manic pixie dream girl thing that we've talked about before uh, to like rank uh, cranked up to 11. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because she just comes out and she's like, oh, kissing. Oh, I've had a new thought about kissing. Come here. I'm going to bite you, you, you man. Oh, yeah. Um, it's too much. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's, is. It, it is too much. Yeah. Can I say and that? then she sort of gets put away from the plot for a while while the, the Time Lord stuff is happening. And I think in that absence, while she's like sitting in her prison cell, like everything kind of flips. And and then when her and the Doctor are together again, like, yes, there's still like the kind of like the flirty bullshit going on, but mm. it doesn't feel um, particularly uh, like I, I don't get the sense that they're actually going to fuck. Right. It's kind of like. A, a running gag between two friends at this point is it immediately is kind of the vibe I get because once he sort of understands who she is to him and she gets a better idea of how she feels about him, I guess um, they do end up feeling like two peas in a pod old mates uh, instead. Mm. And I, I much prefer that dynamic between the two of them because like one, these two actors just have incredible chemistry together, but two, oh, truly. you know, the doctor having his only steady companion ever finally be able to talk to him um is is beautiful and i think that's the core heart of this episode right is that companions come and go uh, you can go to any other time and space but it's always the doctor it's always the tardis they boy in his box you know it's the boy in his box which, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say actually about her right now but yes yep uh yes absolutely um and it is couched in that kind of gendered little it's not bro terminology i don't know what it is i just hate about like the the boy in his box i guess it's every time they refer to the doctor as a madman and a tardis i just think about tumblr and i want to cry um well yeah i mean and this is something that comes up later (laughs) in the episode where there's like a a junkyard full of old tardises um and she's like oh my my sisters are are, are crying out and burning or whatever i'm like why are Otardis's women? Like, it just, it it's such a, like, you know, mid-40s dude and his car been like, oh, she's a beauty, isn't she? It, yes. Oh, if I could get inside her. Like, that's kind of the vibe I get from it. And I don't want to feel that way about this, but... It's always been uh, there because the doctor's always it, characterized the TARDIS as a, you know, old girl, old woman, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I just think that, like, specifically making her, like, physically hot yeah. and have the characteristics of uh, an era... Of, you know, we talked before about how Curse of the Black Spot is very much inspired by parts of the Caribbean. Like, this characterization here in The Doctor's Wife feels very much like, you know, what is it, 500 Days of Summer? Like, that kind of... Mm, that mm. era of writing women in a certain way, mm. um, or at least viewing women in a certain way. Whether they had those qualities or not, like, they, they most obviously don't, but the way that particular men wrote particular women uh, in this time, um, I, I think is, is very manifest here. And, and it goes back to why I think like the doctor's wife as a title is a bit kind of shitty. I just, it, it's the gendered element of this episode that mm. really doesn't work for me. And I'm so glad it drops it like halfway through. Yeah, I do agree. Just before we touch on that, I do just want to um, talk about those first few scenes before the doctor and the, TARDIS come together where Idris is in the cell um, mm. there's some I, I really like the way that they keep giving her lines the writer keeps giving her lines um, that she's going to say um, yeah. as opposed to like you know like because trying to trying to conceptualize how a being that can see all of time and space <laughs> would talk yeah. I think it, they do a really good job um, and the first scene where she's in the in the the cell and she's like trying to she keeps going I'm I'm and she can't characterize herself and she's like it's a big word it's a sad word mm. why is that word sad you know um it it, it it I think it's really really cool um yeah I completely agree um when they get together uh she keeps calling him her thief which I find funny um I, I it, you're right. It, it, they do just, they absolutely come together already, like almost mm. instantaneously. Um, I do. Let's talk about that elephant in the room. I suppose. Um, I, I, I do have reservations about the doctor characterizing the TARDIS as sexy. Um, Yes. Not in and of itself, because like that skirts dangerously close to being like 
women can't be sexy. Um, but when you think about the dynamics of this, of these two characters, which is a machine and the doctor, um, a, a person, a, a physical being, it, it's, it's, in, it is in a weird area of like, it, what I think I, I come up against is like, it's, it's whether or not you think the TARDIS has any autonomy or not. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and you, the, Obviously, they make a lot of references in the previous episodes that the TARDIS is alive. The TARDIS, uh, you know, has a mind of its own. But they do always get piloted by the Doctor. And so the idea that the Doctor's, like, in love with his TARDIS is... Or wants to have sex with it. I don't know. Am I being crass? Is this... What do you think? No, no. I I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, It's... Like the scene where Amy, they, Amy is introduced to the TARDIS and the doctor keeps going, she's a woman and she's a, my TARDIS and she's a woman and she's my TARDIS. And it's like, yeah, like, it, this is yeah. juvenile. It's, it's juvenile. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. It, it's definitely one of the weaker choices made by this episode and by, I think, the show as a whole. Um, and like, I like that he has an intimate relationship with the TARDIS. I think you're right. Sexualizing it is where it starts getting a bit odd. Um, because, you know, it's, it's kind of said a lot in this episode. She's like, well, actually, I stole you. I'm never going to give you back. I take you where you need to go. Yeah. Um, like, it does sort of at least pay lip service to the idea that she has autonomy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's it. I don't... <sighs> It's, it's it's a strange one. And it's like what I was talking about before with the Time Lord stuff, whereas, like, as a standalone story, I think all of this is an interesting discussion. As a wider part of the series, I almost don't care to unpack most of it because it doesn't have any bearing on anything ever. Um, no. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I get what you're saying. It, 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 it doesn't ever challenge the status quo. It's just like, what if these two people could talk for a very short amount of time? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do I do get what you're saying. Um, it. I don't have any issues with it. I also don't want this conversation to be characterized as like us being prudes, because that's not at all. That's what it very is. obviously not what the situation is here. It's just like we have a history on this show of talking about the way that this show struggles with gender dynamics sometimes, mm. um, and this is just another one in a long example of those things. Like it doesn't make it inherently problematic it doesn't mean we don't like this episode like we love this episode we're probably going to spend the rest of our time now talking about why we love it um Mm. but it is definitely it's it's something that's there and i do feel like it's something that's worth unpacking because this show does have a weird relationship to gender um it Mm. just is what it is Mm. it is it absolutely is um yeah now on the plus side um she's incredible (laughs) oh yeah um so Idris is played by Vigil. You keep saying Vigil to me, Saran Jones, um, <laughs> uh, who only she has another connection to the Doctor Who universe, where she played Mona Lisa in the Sarah Jane Adventures, um, the actual painting itself, uh, which I find very I funny. <laughs> um, this is probably her more iconic of those two roles. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest um and she is a great actress she's not she's not it's funny like you think about who would ever play the tardis and it's never going to be her necessarily um but she does embody that that um character well she's got that kind of like um tim burton-esque like Ooh, yeah kind that's of a great frizzy hair and thick gothy makeup and oh i'm, I'm just a bit fun and weird but <laughs> Um, she does and, have you know, Helena Bonham Carter energy. You're right. She does, doesn't she? She truly yeah. does. Um, side note: Is Helena Bonham Carter cancelled? What's up with that? No, I feel like not, I remember something. No, she's not cancelled. Did she support someone bad? No, I think you're just thinking of the fact that she was in a de facto relationship with Tim Burton. No, I don't think that's right. Well, Helena Bonham Carter is fine, and if she's not fine, don't tell me. <laughs> oh yeah, Helena Bottom Carter isn't killed a guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um. 
Yes. So yeah, look, really good performance. Uh, the the script writing is incredibly sharp as well. I, one of my favorite lines is, you know, you're like a boy trying to, like a 11 year old trying to rebuild his uh, motorbike in his bedroom mm. uh, when they're putting together like the TARDIS, like they're trying to make like a TARDIS shell so they can fly off the planet. Um, mm. It's it's just fun. It's it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I it's weird with her like outside of like that ending scene which we're obviously going to talk about like Mm. up until that point like to me it's just this kind of like beautiful wash of like good acting great moments there's nothing in particular I want to like yell about though (laughs) I I know what you mean and there are like a a few choice scenes but that's probably it um the main one that I, I in my head I always thought it was a much longer bigger scene than it actually is in the episode which is where, you know, they get to a mini argument and, you know, the doctor's like, you know, just while we're talking with mouths, I, I, you never took me where I wanted to go. And she says, no, but I always took you where you needed to go. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess it's a case of saying like, actually less is more because like those, that line, those two lines, it, it is that relationship it, right there. And then it's the doctor... I want to do everything. I want to see the universe. And the Tata's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to take you where you need to go. I don't know. I, I actually just mm-hmm. characterize that incredibly stupidly. Um, you don't, that doesn't, that moment doesn't need to be anything more. Um, I, I do. Oh, well, while we're talking about that scene, I do quite like them putting together a cobbled together Tardis. I think that's a really, novel yes little concept um it's very very cool it's very cool um yeah i guess the other sort of big scene that we should talk about is the last one right um yes her her um ending with him is like maybe like top 10 moments of the show right <laughs> well yeah i think it's iconic yeah. doctor who iconic not actual iconic <laughs> yes yes um but no so house is ejected from the tardis because her energy is is sort of spilling back into the the console and everything um because of that obviously her body is not going to hold out and um the the tone of their conversation what is that uh, i think you've written like the you've got the whole script down here i'm pretty sure i but put the like, whole, um, yeah because i just loved it so much well that's it like there's so many elements of it that i want to quote but like um what is it like this is the time that we spoke and now that's over oh, i love it it's i'll always it's be so here beautiful. but this is when we talked and yes um exactly right and like the the loneliness that radiates from matt smith in this moment um just, is incredible yeah like last episode we did talk about the fact that we don't talk about the doctor enough and watching that mm. scene i was like no this needs to be pointed out because yes matt smith's performance it's his most emotional that I've ever seen him. And it was like kind of uncomfortable to watch initially at first. Cause I was like, Oh God, he's, he's like losing it um, mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Um, but I think it's the perfect tone to set. Um, it would be, it would be so fucking devastating to like have this briefest of moments to talk with someone who you've shared 700 how many years of history with mm. mm-hmm. um and that's why i think that i love I th- and is the best line of the whole episode is like the word that idris has been searching for isn't goodbye it's hello she just wants to say hello yeah They've so when never- she first meets him right she runs up and she's like goodbye no wait that's not right and yeah. then it's kind of like brushed aside and then for the rest of the episode she is having that moment where she's like what 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 am i looking for here yeah um and, and yeah, there's something I didn't get to say to you. And the doctor's like, goodbye. She's like, no, I just wanted to say hello. Hello, doctor. It's so very, very nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Oh, stunning. Oh, I'm actually crying. I'm crying again. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so good. And like, you also think about, this is an episode where we talk about the doctor gets a glimpse of potentially having Time Lords back in his life. Mm-hmm. This is the closest he would ever get to having a Time Lord back in his life, right? Well, yeah, like, or someone who would understand the scope of, of that mm-hmm. existence more yeah. than the Time Lords, actually, because they never went anywhere. It's the TARDIS is the one that's like seen all the time and space, actually been out there with him mm-hmm. this whole time. And it's and it it would it would be like getting the perfect lover, for lack of a better word, um, <laughs> and, and only having a day with them. You know, it, yeah. it's his version of um, fucking Christmas Carol. <laughs> 
if you had one last day, what would it be? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is why, again, it's like, this is like Moffat to a T. This is a, it could only have happened under Moffat's turn, uh, time on the show. Like this, that mm-hmm. Mayfly kind of existence is something that he is very, very concerned with and mortality and like treasuring time together. Um, yes. It, agreed. It yeah. leads to some bad impulses, but it also leads to some very good ones. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just think, hello, hello, doctor. It's so nice to meet you. Is oh, And the way she delivers it is mm-hmm. oh, perfect. No, nah, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I do just want to rattle off a couple of quick points. Uh, mm. Just the, uh, little scenes that I really love. Um, you want to talk about some of my top Doctor Who moments of all time. So there is this... Um, uh, like a locked door that they need to get through, uh, Amy and Rory need to get through inside of the TARDIS. And uh, she's like, oh, the code is uh, Crimson 11, delight the smell of dust after rain. Oh, yeah. And Rory's just starts like yelling it out loud and nothing's happening. And Amy's like, no, no, of course it's, it's telepathic. We need to think these things, like feel them. And so you get this moment where Amy's like, there's a ood, you know, hunting them down. And she's standing in front of this door and like she closes her eyes and she tries to picture what each of these things is. And it's so well done. Mm. And the fact that her vision of delight is her smile on her wedding day, I fucking, oh, it's it's gorgeous. I, mm. I really, really love it. It's that sci-fi is magic kind of thing. It's a great character moment for Amy, just a tiny glimpse inside her brain. It's it's very good. Yeah, it is a cool, it is a cool moment. And I like that, like, I like that that's also like, you can't, you don't just get the, the code. You have to think it because the TARDIS, mm-hmm. yeah, like that moment is is great um it also leads into a particular room (laughs) it does it leads into the classic uh tardis from matt smith no the other one uh david tennant's era Mm -hmm. Um, yes so like earlier on there's a conversation between the doctor and um idris about how she's been uh cataloging old mm. TARDIS control rooms and he's like no I delete them she's like no I catalog them and then you find out she's also cataloging cataloging ones from the future it's it's a very fun little bit of dialogue um and I remember when I heard that I was like oh okay maybe it'll be like kind of like a broken old room or something and then when they just run into the actual fucking set (laughs) from from the first uh series of the Doctor Who revival my heart did a little fucking flutter I it's beautiful yeah, it's really cool. And I love that, like, so Neil Gaiman was like, I have to have it in the old TARDIS. And so they had to keep the setup for, like, a year and a half, basically, until they could record this episode. Mm, um, it's great. It's very it. funny. Um, and I remember people losing their minds when the trailer came out for this series because they saw that and were like, oh, well, David Tennant's coming trailer? back. Wrote, they put, like... Like a half a second, like flash of it. Ah, that's no, don't do that. (laughs) Well, it wasn't that. It was it was the shot of the TARDIS materializing inside of the control room. So, like, oh yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. They're gonna go back in time, and yeah, they wouldn't have noted it if unless they freeze framed it and like, oh, I can see the Coralie column thing. Yeah, right. Of course. Yeah. Um, Mm. and uh, you know, and then it ends with the Doctor, you know. And the TARDIS going off into time and space, and it's perfect. Mm. It is perfect. Um, there's a nice moment at the end where um, uh, the Doctor is like, well, look, I, I had to rebuild your room um, because the house deleted a bunch of them. And then before, right before Amy and Rory run off to their room, like Rory's like, Doctor, do you have a room? And he's just uh. there on his little swing chair playing with his cords and sparking yep. things off. And just the idea that like this dude in this infinite space doesn't have a room of his own um, because it's just all his room. I, I think it's, it's very sweet. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I took that to be like, yeah, like the control room is his TARDIS. He never sleeps. He yeah, he is, he is endless. He is time and space. Oh, the fire. Um, <laughs> I also just want to say, I noted this down, but I think this is the first time I've really appreciated this TARDIS fully um Mm. like i know that you've always been a big fan of this control room um Mm. and i've liked it before but there's that shot and it's this shot at the end here where like you get like this kind of wide shot of the control panel that upper pan uh sort of like um 
platform area where everyone stands and sits and films all their scenes. And then underneath it is this sprawling uh, bit of cable work that he's now sitting amongst playing with it and whatnot. I don't, I don't know, there's something about just seeing all of that in one shot together helped me pinpoint like the ways that this room is simultaneously a living space and a spaceship. Um, and just, yeah. Is, yeah, I loved it. It's a great set. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Doctor's wife, what are you giving it? Uh, I'm giving it an A. Um, and it would have been an A plus if I didn't think that that might just be overkill. <laughs> um, I agree with her. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd also go an A. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is definitely one of the best episodes of the show. That much is yes. true. For sure. For sure. So that's the end of our episode on the Curse of the Black Spot, Doctor's Wife. We will be back soon when we don't know. Um, it will be a bit dependent on... Because I'm moving... Yeah. I'm literally moving tomorrow <laughs> from recording yes. this episode. Yeah, so um, we're, we're recording this on the 19th. Hopefully the, uh, the first of our new episodes would have been out on the 20th. And then after that's going to take you through to a bit of February. So probably sometime in March is when we'll be back, I'm guessing. Yeah, when we're both bit stable and yeah. and um, uh, yeah, and have great jobs and we love our lives. Oh, can't wait to love my life. <laughs> um, until, as always, thank you for listening to us uh, this episode and every episode that we put out. We love, love, love uh, doing this show. If you would like, you can always drop us a review, please, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to the show. Um helps us grow and makes us feel really good. Um, and we do also love to hear your thoughts and questions when you send them in. So if you would like to reach out to us, um, you can do so by emailing us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's to the word two. Uh, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at twoheartspod. And that's to the number two. I've been Callum. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at theatricallum. And I've been James. You can find me on Twitter at OMG More James. And until next time, we'll see you later. Have. I was going to say keep watching the skis, but then I remembered I already made that joke <laughs> on the show before, and now I don't know what to say. So goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>